Thank you for using me today, Lord, for your precious anointing that breaks every yoke. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. I'd like to say hello to all those who listen uh, by other ways through iTunes or Google Play or through uh, SoundCloud or one of the podcasts that we have. But uh, we pray for you every week, and I do see you. I see you listening. In uh, Canada, I see you. I see you in London, in England. see you, and we thank God for you. We see you in Japan. We see you in Russia. We see you all over the world. Everybody that tunes in, we are privy to uh, some of that information. So not all in your business, but we do get uh, an awareness of uh, the locales the cities and, and countries from which they come. And so we thank God for you, and especially all of you from all over the United States. We thank God for you as that ministry has really grown. And I just want you to know we love you and we're praying for you. Everything you hear me say here is for you. And uh, we, we think of you just as uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, just as we do those who are present here with us. So God bless you and welcome. Turn with me to Judges chapter 16. Judges chapter 16, we're going to read from there, starting around the fourth verse. It's way back in the beginning, after Joshua. Got the first five books of the, the Bible, which is the Torah. And then you have uh, Numbers and, um, and uh, Joshua and Judges. So just want to get into the word a little bit here today but you know especially as christmas is right around the corner this is the second day of december and uh christmas is right around the corner you can you see it everywhere you go to the stores for sure you, you saw it beginning even before thanksgiving it seemed like this year people are really getting out there and i couldn't help but notice you know even for like uh this, uh, what do they call the day after Thanksgiving, the Black Friday, Black Friday and uh, Cyber Monday and all this, people so excited. And, then, and unfortunately, you can't help but notice that most of the excitement is all about themselves. People look forward to buying themselves some presents, you know. <laughs> now, now there's, that's not totally bad. There's certain things that, that this time of the year that Tavana and I, if we need things, we wait until they go on, you know, so you take sure. advantage of things. Nothing wrong with shopping, but man, in this world, uh, the, uh, the priorities are just so misplaced and, and so wrong. And, and I just want to put it upon everybody's heart this Christmas to... To have more Christ and less mas, <laughs> you know, mas means more in Spanish, and uh, and I just saw that today, and I said, you know, Lord, we just need more of the Christ part and less of the mas part, <laughs> and uh, the other things don't really matter if you have Him and make it about Him. I think we would have the most beautiful Christmases we've ever had, you know, if it's all focused around Him and and what His coming meant to us and all the special things that surrounded that event. It's just beautiful. So anyway, I hope you really enjoy the Christmas season and that you have a a lot more Christ and a lot less moss. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Mm. But let's look. I know this message is going to bless somebody today because it is blessing me just thinking about um, the the simplicity and the the, uh, 
the magnitude of it, though. Judges chapter 16. Everyone's heard of this, uh, this story. Uh, and whether you've read it, which hopefully you read it all once a year anyway, if you're reading through your Bibles like most of us try to do. But I know not everybody does. But everybody knows about Samson and Delilah. And Samson, we know from the Bible was, uh, um, you know, we think of that, that love story of Samson and Delilah, which I think probably has been twisted and turned a lot. But, but the Bible story is, is very, very cool, too. The Bible is better than, real, uh, the better than fiction, I'll tell you that. Um, but Samson, what do we know about Samson? When you think of Samson, you think of his strength, right? Mm-hmm. Strength, his hair, okay. So that was, okay, right? So those things. But we think of him as a very strong man, a very capable warrior. And that's just true. We know he killed a lion with his bare hands. Mm-hmm. We know that he killed thousands of God enemies with just the jawbone of an ass. A donkey's jawbone was on the ground. He picked it up and he killed a thousand <laughs> Warriors that were coming against God's people. He was so strong that he picked up the city gates along with the posts that held them in the ground, lifted it all up out of the ground and walked to a nearby hill and set them down there. You know, this is just supernatural. Amen. Amen. <laughs> he tore down a whole a whole theater, and when you think of the the Colosseum and all those old structures from the ancient times, you know he he tore down one of those with his bare hands and killed thousands of people who were seated in it. Okay, so this man was strong for sure. <laughs> but when we when you picture him in your mind, what do you see? Okay, you see the hair and you see this strong guy, but do you picture him like, I mean, just this massive Hulk, just totally physical uh, phenomenon? I mean, I think, I think all the pictures I've ever seen of him portrayed him as a massive, very, very uh, muscular person. Let me ask you a question about that. If if he was so muscle-bound and just the perfect specimen, then why was everyone seeking after the source of his strength? You see what I'm saying? I don't think that Samson was a was particularly large, muscular man. I think he was a regular guy like us. You know? Like George and I. I didn't mean to look at y'all. <laughs> I think he was just a regular man. And, uh, but the problem is that this point is so important. I wish I could articulate it better. But I'm going to get the point across. And I just want you to mull on this and meditate on it. But the problem is that we do see him as a real muscular, strong guy. I think the fact that we see him that way in our minds is the same reason that the multitudes of Christians today are not 
succeeding in seeing more of the supernatural work from God in their lives. Because what we see Samson as is this really strong man who is very capable of doing lots of wonderful things with just a little extra help from God. But that's not what made him strong. What made Samson strong was a covenant that God had made with his parents. That Samson believed in and had operated in faith towards. He trusted in the covenant that God had made with his parents regarding him. And because he had faith in God's covenant... The supernatural was made evident in his life. And so I propose to you that he wasn't a especially strong person in the natural. He was nothing more than a regular man. And he was confident in God's ability working in his life. If he was a super strong guy, they wouldn't have been wondering where his strength come from. And that's what we need to get to is that we're not, we're not, we don't have to be special. We don't have to have amazing gifts and uh, talents and abilities that are evident to everyone. And then a little help from God to go with it. No. We need to be completely aware of our helplessness and insufficiency and total inadequacy without God. People think that they have to be something special with a little bit of God's help. No. His power works perfectly when we realize our total inability without Him. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, Paul talks about this. He says, but He said to me, because this was when Paul, and I think I mentioned it last week, he was complaining about and asking the Lord to remove this buffer, this thorn in his side, this demonic oppressive spirit that hindered him in his ministry every time he went somewhere. And God said, to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So if we go around celebrating our abilities and our strengths and God working with us, we effectively really lose God's power in our life. And he leaves us to ourselves and our own strength and our own special abilities until we come to the end of ourselves and turn to him and say, Lord, that's nothing. I'm nothing without you. He said, my, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul said, therefore, I, I boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me just like it did on Samson. Who was nothing without God. I don't care how strong somebody is. Which I already told you. I think Samson wasn't anything special. 
I don't, there's never been a man strong enough to do the things that Samson did. But the part we need to reject is the part that he was pretty close to being able to do those things without God. And he just needed a little extra help from God. Because when we see ourselves that way, that's when we lose the power of God. Just like Paul said, I, I need, I've found that, that he's strong in my weaknesses. Therefore, I'm going to boast of my weaknesses, my inadequacies. My, I'm going to, I'm going to be content with weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And what he means by that is I'm strong because in my weakness, he has made me strong because it's him making me strong. It's him that's strong, not me. And so when I admit that I'm nothing without him, then he shows off in my life. It's not woe is me. And I'll tell you why, because because of the covenant for the same reason, Samson didn't go around saying, oh, I'm weak and pathetic and and because he said, I'm weak and pathetic, then God helped him. No, he was confident, but he was confident because he didn't have any doubt that God was going to honor the covenant that he had made. Amen. The same reason we shouldn't, we, sh- we should always be confident, but we just need to remember that it, whenever we get off into a place where we start liking the, the spotlight a little bit and feel like maybe I'll take some of this glory. Yeah, that, you know, that was me. You know, if, if I wouldn't have done this or I hadn't done, yeah, I, yeah, it was God. I know I give God the credit, but no, when we get there, we need to back up and just go, and I don't want any credit because I don't want this to stop. <laughs> if I take his credit, it will stop. I've seen it so many times in myself and others to some degree. And the truth is, it's best just to know that you're less and that he's more. John 15, 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So yeah, you're a branch you all sorts of leaves and fruit all over you. Prospering, doing great. But if you're broken away from that vine, you're going to wither and, and die. There's no strength left in you. There's nothing that's going to produce anything green or alive again. It'll all be dead. So it's good to celebrate the fact that we're nothing apart from him. Just a, a chapter back, John fourteen six, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And Galatians 2.20 is another good one to write down. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh... I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So this is a beautiful scripture of of what it's all about, the Christian life, which is all about dying to self and living unto Christ or allowing him to live through us. Forgetting all about the plans and ways and the will that we had for our life 
and, and embracing His. And when we do that, then we have been crucified with Christ. When we bear our cross daily, that means when something happens in our life, whether it's uh, in our work or in our marriages or in our relationships or in our thought life or in things we do or see or whatever, when it's something, I want to do this. Well, but you're reminded by the Holy Spirit. Yes, I know. But here's what the Lord said. Bearing your cross is putting yourself to death in a sense because you're putting down that ideology, that want of yours, which doesn't line up with his. Now, the good news is, after real discipleship begins to bear fruit in your life, you're going to find yourself in agreement with God. And more times than not, then, the things that you want and to do are the things that he wants to do too. And that's when it becomes really beautiful. But until then, the fact that we are to be living sacrifices never changes. And we're to bear a cross daily. And remember that I've been crucified with Christ. So it's no longer I who live. It's no longer my way. It's no longer my desires apart from the will of God. It's whatever he says. Because now it's Christ who lives in me. The same power that raised him from the dead lives in me and gives life to this mortal body. Really, we've already died with him on the cross if we belong to him. And so now you're a supernatural being. You might still be riding around in this body, but it's not that it's him that's keeping you alive. That's a great thing. Because when sickness and disease tries to come upon you, you can reject it in the name of Jesus. You don't have to accept any aspect of the curse. And when you find out that you've crawled down off of that altar, just crawl back up there. That's what happens with a living sacrifice sometimes. We don't always want to be what God wants us to do. And when we choose wrong, it's quick. It's good to remember quickly and to repent and just get back up there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> A little course correction. It happens. It's always going to happen. But the good news is it happens less as time goes on and as true discipleship takes root. And it's really, it can happen quicker or it can take longer depending on how strong your will is against God and his desires. But we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. That's what it says in Philippians 4.13. All things. And you know, when, when God says things like that, he, there's, there should be some understanding there. He's assuming a couple of things. He's assuming that because he died for you and came and saved you and loves you so much, he's assuming that you know that all things doesn't mean any ungodly thing that you choose. He's assuming that you agree with him. He says in John 14, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it's he who loves me. And if he loves me, he'll be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself in him. And then Judas said to him, this is not Judas Iscariot, this is another Judas. He said, Lord, how is it that you'll manifest yourself to us and not to the world? 
Well, Jesus answered, he said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. It's all about the word. Remember, Jesus is the word made flesh. So you might as well say Jesus is the Bible with eyeballs. <laughs> and so he said, he'll, if you love me, you'll keep my word and my father will love you. And we will come to you and make our home with you. Isn't that beautiful? Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Because they're one. They're in agreement. Amen? Amen. But just like Samson did everything that God said he would do. God is faithful to us in the covenant that he has with us because of Jesus. And Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you in John fourteen twelve, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the father. So he went to the father. They sent the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead. And he's here with us now. And because that same power, which is the Holy Spirit, God himself, that raised Christ from the dead, lives in us. Now we can do everything Jesus did and even greater things. And I submit to you that the time will come when we, you're going to see these things in our lifetime because revival is coming to the church. Revival is even coming to the church in America, believe it or not. But the reason wonderful things and, and people are raised, being raised from the dead, blind eyes are being opened and wonderful things are happening all in countries all around the world and not as often in the United States is because of the things that we're talking about here today. We see ourselves as the strong man with just need a little help from time to time from God. But we still want to take the credit. We want the glory. And we just don't really see the need for God all the time. I got this. Charles Spurgeon was a great man of God centuries ago. And he said, well, you might think you can live just fine without God in this life. But you, want to, you don't want to try the next one without him. <laughs> but it's the blessings he's bestowed upon us in this nation that make us feel like we're so independent of him. That's what's so ridiculous. And it's the reason that we don't see more supernatural things manifest in our lives is because we're thinking we're pretty special without him. And yeah, it's good if he steps in from time to time and helps us out a little bit instead of recognizing that it's always him. We can do nothing apart from him, but we can do all things through him who strengthens us. And we can do greater things than he did because he's gone to the Father and filled us with the Holy Spirit who empowers us to do his will. But the problem with that, when you start talking about doing great things and all these wonderful things, people, especially in America, my, I used to think when God called me and I finally quit arguing with him about it and he agreed that he would teach me because I didn't trust any of the others because they all disagree with one another and how was I supposed to know who to believe? And he said, okay, I'll teach you. And so I said, well, great. So what he's going to do is he's going to send me back and I'm going to go be able to witness and, 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 uh, and bring into the kingdom all these old crusty fighters and brawlers and, and barstool sitters. And 
That'd be cool with me. Because I've always, you know, enjoyed just a good old-fashioned sinner. Because usually they have pretty a lot of respect for God. And they know they're not living right. But they do honor Him in a sense. Not with their own lives, but they know the fear of the Lord. Yeah, just like I did back then. But now I can show them a more excellent way. But in recent years, that's not what He's put upon my heart at all. I mean, I still have a heart for that, but that's not what He's given me passion for. The passion, my passion is to save the Christians in His church. <laughs> Whether they be saved or not, I do not know. I'm not the judge. But the fruit is not there. And when the divorce rate is the same in the church as it is in the world, and I know with God it's a 100% success rate, then there's a problem. There are Christians everywhere that do not agree with God. They don't even think he should be talked about in public. And that politics and God should be left separate. And that politics and God should not even be discussed in in uh, mixed company because that's not polite and it's just going to cause a problem and we all have different opinions anyway. Well, we shouldn't have different opinions if we agree with God. I just look forward to any controversy. I look forward to the conversation going to, well, hold on, y'all. What's God saying? I don't see it. I don't hear it. People are sold out on their opinions, though. No matter how ungodly. And most of the time what I found is they say, oh, God doesn't care about that stuff. You know, come on. They, I mean, there's always some kind of crazy excuse, which we know is not God. And so God will reveal himself. He will show you the error. If you're trying to figure out which side of the argument to be on, so to speak, which God is not taking sides because everybody's wrong. But there's definitely godly, a good way, a right way, a, a, a righteous way, and a wrong way. And when there's a group that's inviting God and encouraging God to speak and to help, and then there's another one that won't even allow him into their meetings, it's not a hard choice to know which one to go with. Even if it's imperfect like us. At least they're allowing God to make the course corrections or inviting him to, right? So it's not a hard choice. And getting back to my point, though, is that in America, when we talk about all the great things that I'm telling you now, if we just stop taking all the glory and we stop taking the credit and we stop thinking, well, we're the strong man like Samson, except we just need a little bit of God's help from time to time. And we recognize that we're nothing apart from him and that we, we, we glory in our weakness because then and humilities and insults and ravings and all these demonic things that come against us and the oppression that comes against us for, for trying to live for Christ because all those who desire to live godly lives in Christ will suffer persecution. So when we recognize it as persecution because we're trying to live for God, because we're not in agreement with the world, then we should glory in that. Because he's going to show up and he's going to show off as long as we don't start taking the credit. And as long as we don't get beside ourselves and get into anger and bitterness and all these other things. Because one thing for sure that I've found with God. Anytime that I bear my cross and I choose God's way instead of my way. And I feel like I'm losing because I need to really just put this person in their place. And nobody in this world would deny me that. And they would all say I had every right to do it. But I decide to go with God instead. It isn't very long before times of refreshing come. 
times of supernatural provision and prosperity and strengthening and encouragement and love and every other thing, every other aspect of the fruit of the Spirit begins to operate in your life and you just know that it's God and you feel His warm embrace. Just like it says in Psalm 91, you know that you are in the shelter of the Almighty and the and the covered by His wings, you know? And it's beautiful. And then it, it strengthens your faith. And then the next time that, that a struggle, a trial comes, you're like, you know, it's going to be a little easier to suck it up this time because last time, look what He did for me. And I know that on the 10,000th time that I prayed, Lord, help my marriage. Help us again, Lord. I stopped being embarrassed. After on the, like the thousandth time, I was just totally ashamed. I'm so sorry I have to ask you the same thing for the same thing again. But now I don't. I'm not embarrassed. I'd rather be embarrassed in front of him than not run to him. And you know what? No matter how foolish I feel and how exhausted I think he must be of having heard the same issue again and again and again. He never is. He's so kind. He's so patient. And he's so faithful to his covenant with us, just like he was to the one he made with Samson's parents. But when we talk about doing greater things than Jesus and the strength of Samson and how we can have all this if we just humble ourselves and acknowledge that we're nothing apart from Him and that it's always Him that gets the glory and always Him that gets the spotlight. And we go, okay. And then we look and we wait for God to put us on a national stage or into a, a giant uh, setting of some sort where we're great. We're doing great things, obviously. And we have that American mentality that it has to be something really, really big. Otherwise, it's not happening. I want to challenge you right there because first of all, I want you to remember that as far as I can tell, which is almost certainty, Samson was not a big old bulky guy. He was just a normal man who depended 100% on the supernatural strength of God. And when it comes to doing the great things that we're talking about and that Jesus is talking about, I want you to look to Acts chapter 9, the first book of the New Covenant. And I want to remind you of something else and then we'll be done today. Acts chapter 9. Saul, you know who Saul is? How about if I said Paul? We know who Paul is, don't we? Paul wrote half of the New Covenant, didn't he? <laughs> he was Saul before he became Paul, wasn't he? He was Saul. He was persecuting the church of God. He was killing people in the church. He, of the way, they called it. This way that we enjoy, which we know is Christianity. Paul was out to get them. He was a devout Jew, and he thought that they were of the devil, and he was putting them, dragging them, women and children and men from their homes and imprisoning them unto death, he said. And this is where we meet Paul. He was on his way to do some more of that persecuting of the church in Acts chapter 9. It says, But Saul, 
still breathing threats of murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. He was zealous to come after those Christians. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I always like to make a point there that Saul hadn't, he didn't think he was doing anything to persecute God, did he? He thought he was working for God. Who was he persecuting? Christians, right? He was after Christians. He was after the Annettes of the world, the Georges of the world, the Tavanas of the world. But what did Jesus say to him? Why are you persecuting me? Look how personal Jesus takes you. Look how protective he is of you. Look how much he loves you. He didn't say, why are you persecuting my people? He said, you're persecuting me. Huh? George, how about if somebody comes and they, they mess with a net? They're messing with you, right? They mess with Tamana. They're definitely messing with me. Jesus, take that to the thousandth multiplier when, it regarding, when it's regarding any of us who are living for him. So don't think anybody's getting away with anything. Just trust him to handle it in his way, in his time, because his way is perfect. Amen. Amen. And he said to, and he said, who are you, Lord? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who are you, Lord? He knew he was the Lord, but he's like, who are you? And he said, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you will be told what to do, what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. He, he went blind. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. So the Lord appeared. He took it very personal. And he said, why are you persecuting me? Because he was persecuting his people. He took it personal. And Saul comes out of this thing with an awareness of, I've been doing wrong. God has spoken to me. Now I'm blind. And he didn't even eat for three days. He's like, what? You know, what? Here I am. My whole life has been a lie. How many people do you know like that right now? You just need to pray for the Lord to knock them off their horse. Amen. So here's, here's where we're getting to, though. This isn't really about Paul. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. This is not Ananias and Sapphira, the ones that God killed for lying about their offering. This is a, this is a good man. This is the only place we hear about Ananias. There was a disciple. He was a disciple of the Lord. We know that at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision... Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of, of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. <laughs> and he has, seen a, in a, he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. So the Lord's talking to Ananias, and he's saying, There's a guy named Saul. And he's seen in a vision, you're going to come and lay hands on him and so forth. Lay hands on him 
that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. They knew who he was. He was a killer of the church. I've heard about this man, how much evil he's done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. So he might kill me too. He's come here to do that. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name from the gent- before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. Praise be to God. I'm going to stop right there. And just talk about this for a second. Because who I really wanted to mention, because of what we're talking about to do, and the greatness and the supernatural ability, and the wonderful things that God wants to do through us, and our unwillingness sometimes to put ourselves in a position to do that because of pride. But I don't want us to be mistaken when we talk about the great things, to miss out on the, the little things that are only little in our mind. You know how I say sometimes the minor prophets, the major prophets, but they're really no minor prophets. They're just a short book. The same thing with the things that God has for us to do. Ananias, no one ever heard of him outside of this small passage of scripture. He's not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. Unlike Paul, who's well known, he wrote half of the New Testament. But what about this guy who brought back Paul's sight? Who ministered the baptism of the Holy Spirit to him, laid hands on him and gave Paul the prophecy that he would use to mold his entire ministry. Hello? We never hear of Ananias. No great exploits as far as we know. He didn't really want to do this, but he was sitting there in the presence of God. And listen, nothing's changed from the day of Pentecost, which was prior to this. He was living in the church age, which after Jesus had ascended from, from till, till Jesus comes back. We're living in a time period of, of grace and truth, the church age. And Ananias was just like you and I. And he heard God clearly. And let me tell you, that's no easy feat. It takes cultivating the presence and awareness of God and hearing. I don't think he knocked on his door or came with a big booming voice. I think he spoke very gently to Ananias. Ananias said, here I am, Lord. You see that? He was available. And he was practicing the presence of God. He was close to God. And because of that, God could use him. No telling how many, how many Ananiases or Saul's that maybe the Lord would have reached. But they couldn't hear him. They may not have been his first choice. Catherine Kuhlman, who was a great minister of God and a woman in a time when there was no woman ministers. But Andrew Womack says he went there just to see that she was some kind of a, a fake. 
And he volunteered as an usher and he would have to carry people down that were like skin and bones out of a wheelchair and take them down there to the front. And they'd come running up the aisle in a minute, fully restored. And he knew it was right. And she was weird. She would flutter around the stage with these flowing gowns. And methinks, since she'd spoken the Elizabethan English and all that, but she loved Jesus. And she asked Jesus one time, she goes, what did you choose me for? And he goes, you weren't my first pick. I went to seven men before I picked you. They all, none of them would do it. So God is looking for people like Ananias. Doesn't seem to have any great things, but without him doing what he did and helping Paul come into the kingdom of God and, and praying for him and and baptizing him with the Holy Spirit and giving him the word from God that he would use to launch his entire ministry, Paul wouldn't have been. You know what I'm saying? We don't often hear of the Ann Sullivans of the world. Do you know who Ann Sullivan was? She was Helen Keller's teacher that showed her that she had something to offer and that she was beautiful and smart and so a deaf and blind person was able to do all the things that Helen Keller did because there was an Ann Sullivan. I think of mentors that I have like Andrew Womack who I believe is a true apostle in the body of Christ these days and he could care less about a title but he speaks to billions and he's seen people raised from the dead and blind eyes open and all the things and The word of God is just second nature to him because he knows the Lord so closely. He hardly ever prays in a formal way like some of us go and pray because he, he, it's what, because I, I, I'm not saying anything about me, but I've, we're very similar in a lot of ways. And when I met Andrew, I was so blessed because I told him. I, I, I needed to, to meet him and to know him because I told him everything the Lord has shown me, you, you've, you've helped me to articulate. Because the Lord had taught me so many things and I needed help speaking it. I couldn't put it all into words. And, and here was a man who had been shown the same things but had been meditating on it all for 40 or 50 years. And, I, and I'm very similar in that way where a lot of days I go, Lord, I don't think I... I don't think I've stopped and spent a lot of time in prayer with you. And he said, well, why would you, if, if, if you're walking and talking with me in the garden, why would, why would you stop and say, oh, excuse me, Lord, I have to go pray to you. <laughs> he goes, you've been with me all day. And it's true. That's I just I walk and talk to him all day. I pray in, the, in tongues. I pray in the natural. I praise him as I go. I praise him with my known voice, and I praise him with the, the voice in the languages of angels. And I and I when I can't speak it, I say it in my heart. And I'm thinking about him, and I'm thinking, what do you think about this? And does that line up with your word all day long? So I'm with him constantly, and I can tell when I'm not. When I get off in the flesh and I let silly things bother me and I let the cares of this life and the concerns of this life and my selfishness rise up and I have to, when I, when I recognize it, sometimes quicker than others, I immediately have learned to repent and run straight to him and not from him because he's not going to scold me. He's not going to do anything except help me. 
and help me get back on the right track and he answers my prayers and he helps me in those hard places. The, he's, he makes straight those crooked roads that I've made crooked. He straightens them back out for me and sets me back on the path and he's never mean to me. He loves me even when I've been the mean one. God is always the right way to go. But we have to be able to cultivate that hearing in the presence of the Lord. And don't ever discount what the little things that God asks us to do. Like I said, the Ann Sullivans of the world. And why I mentioned Andrew was because when I think of him and I think of stories like this, because I always like to find these little, I think of his father who was, who died when he was a young boy, but his father had set him down when he asked about, when he asked about Jesus, he, he set him down in his bedroom one day and led him to the Lord. You know, but he died very, Andrew was a very young man, but had he not done that, who knows what would have happened. There's teachers that spend extra time who really love their children. I could see, I could see Annette doing that, you know, just because she's sitting there in front of me. And I know that about her, that she wants to impart something in that child to make them know that they're special and loved. And who knows? I have teachers like that. My first grade teacher, I'll never forget her. I love her my whole life. Because she loved me and she spoke good things about me. And when I was playing in the dirt in front of her and another teacher were sitting in chairs and I was sitting there like I couldn't hear, but she was speaking to this other teacher. And I know she said these things for my benefit. She started bragging about me to this teacher, how smart I was and how, and I heard those things and they made an impact on me. And now as an adult, I can see how and why she did it, but it was beautiful to me at the time and I needed it. You know, there are parents that do the same thing. And there's all sorts of little things all around the world. But we have to realize that no matter what it is that God tells us to do, we need to be sensitive just like Ananias was and just say, here I am, Lord, and do it. Because we never know the impact in this, uh, on this world and on the kingdom of God for the things that we think are very insignificant while we're waiting on the bigger things. But see, man can count the seeds in an apple but only God knows the amount of apples in a seed. So sow the seed. Sow the seed of faith and love and obedience to God. There's a little passage of scripture and I'm done. From Job, which you have to be careful if you want to talk about Job. coming out, I'll, I'll tell you what I do know about Job. But there's lots of parts of Job that you can't take literally. Because God rebuked them for everything they said. Through a certain uh, portion of that that book of the Bible, which is very lengthy. And he says, everything you say is wrong. So don't go and use those scriptures <laughs> until you understand the context of the friends of Job. But there were some things they were right about, one thing they were right about in their judgment. And then the reason they said, said they, they got on to, they rebuked Job for, for getting anger, angry and, and, and bitter and cursing or whatever, but, but which was right for his attitude but then they said the reason he was suffering was because God was doing it. And so God came and told them they were wrong. But in Job 22, he simply says this. Agree with God and be at peace. That's Job 22:21. Agree with God and be at peace. Thereby good will come to you. Receive instruction from his mouth and lay up his words in your heart. If you return to the Almighty, you will be built up. If you remove injustice far from your tents, if you lay gold in the dust and gold of Ophir among the stones of the torrent bed, then the Almighty will be your gold and your precious silver. 
Father, thank you for your beautiful word. We thank you for your truth, your love, your patience, your supernatural anointing and favor and power that is working in us. Help us to stay humble and to keep you center of our lives, center of our work and our marriages and our relationships and our Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen.